Good morning everyone, this is Ryan Murano and today on the 29th chapter of the Perthian Chronicles we have the writer, director and performer Lucy Clements. Lucy graduated from WAPA in 2015 with a Bachelor of Performing Arts in Performance Making, during which her study included an intensive six weeks training at the Intercultural Theatre Institute in Singapore. Since moving to Sydney in 2016, she created the new independent theatre company, New Ghosts, and has enjoyed teaching at ATYP, the Australian Theatre for Young People, sharing her knowledge of devise and performed theatre. Lucy's recent works include Fracture, which she wrote, assistant directed and produced, and The Remedy, which she co-devised and performed. Both works were produced at the Blue Room Theatre in Perth, in 2015 and 2016. Again, in 2016, Lucy Assistant directed The Voices Project, All Good Things, with director Ian Sinclair, and is currently in development with a new play called Memesis. 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 Memesis, the mimic art, mm. as Peter O'Toole once said. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the mim mimic. That's right. Yes, mimicry. that's right, yes. She now returns home with her production of The Wind in the Underground at the Studio Underground State Theatre Centre. Welcome, Lucy. Hello, and thank you for having me. Now, I've got a bone to pick. <laughs> no, I don't Please. Have a bone. Oh, I love bones. Why did you leave Perth? <laughs> it's a lame answer. I met a boy. Um, yes, so that made the move easier. So I, um, Sydney is definitely a second home for me already. My sister had already kind of set up base there and is working there as a costume and set designer. And then my partner also, well, and we were doing long distance while I was here and he was in Sydney. So it felt a very natural move to then move to where, you know, it, it feels like a second home. Um, and now I suppose it's my equal first home, home number two. This, uh, I have to say... If, if one listens to the, the Perthian Chronicles, this is, as I said, this mm. is a chapter 29. I remember in chapter, uh, when I interviewed Helly Turner. Mm. Um, yeah, love. Love is a common theme for moving. <laughs> also, when I interviewed Humphrey Bauer, love was, yeah, love, I think, yeah. Yeah, love, love, I think, love plays a very important part in the arts. It, do, it definitely tends to drag you from place to place. Mm. Um, yes, my, my parents moved here based on my mum being dragged by my dad. I moved to Sydney, and I was actually born in Sydney as well. So, um, ah. it, not that I, I grew up here and everything and um, went through my education here, but it, yeah, as I say, it, it's, my roots, something feels very right being there, mm. yes. Roots, speaking of roots. Mm. And <laughs> the one thing I'm horrible at is segueing. <laughs> oh, good. I love it. I love a good segue. It's a very clunky thing, and hopefully, I'm, I think I'm a better editor than I am a better segueer. Um, that was a good segue. Segue about segues. Do you see art as a job? Mm -hmm. Quote, I'm fingering my quotes, quote, air quotes. Do you see your art as a job mm -hmm. or as a lifestyle choice? Oh, I like that. Hmm. I think at the moment it is still a lifestyle choice. My, I would, I would call it a job when it paid my bills, you know, in a very um, technical definition of it. Um, and I do hope to get to that place at some point in my life, um, in the near future. But at the moment, um, it is my own company and it's very much, um, it, it's yet to be give and take. It's all very give at the moment. I give so much of myself and my time to it. And that's new ghosts, of course. 
you know, producing and directing and all the other things that I do with that company. So, yeah, you know, I, I go to my nine to five job and then I come home and I immerse myself in the producing world of new ghosts. And it does feel like a lifestyle. It does. And so, I, so while most people sit down with a good book, I'm typing away the next project. Yeah. Why do you call it new? What's uh, new ghosts? Mm -hmm. You, yes, yeah. so it's this idea that all theatre or all events in life, I think, change the space that they happen in. So you're walking down the road, you're say you're on William Street and you see a car crash. You will probably never see William Street the same way again. You'll probably always, that will change the way you view that that place. So, I, and with theatre that's so relevant as well. When you go and see theatre that changes the space for you, how you look at that space. So I suppose New Ghosts is about paying respects to the works in that space that came before us and that we are influenced by and also creating new ghosts that we hope will influence in the future. Wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. I thought, I'd, I'd, um, before we mm. before I put the recording button on, I was talking to Lucy about mm, her new yes. production, The Wind in the Underground. And by the time this airs out, the production would have been will, will have been done and completed, and you you'll be probably be back in Sydney. Yes. <laughs> but but this will be an interesting retrospect, um, and everyone can Google it and read all the wonderful wonderful reviews. I watched the show last week, but mm. by the time this is out, it'll be last month. Uh, I had a good time, and I I sent Lucy a message the other day and I said to her there's this little BPA motif mm -hmm. at the end and I'll explain to that now. Yes I'm so excited for this. Well it's interesting because one of the things I learned and Lucy was the year above me at the BPA course and I'm not sure if you were taught I, I'd imagine you were mm. taught this sort of principle about in a performance yes we do have an option of physically changing the space mm -hmm. so what I mean by is you can you can enter the space. You can bring the performance in in a blank canvas, as yep. it were, and you can leave with a mess, mm -hmm. yes, an artistic mess, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, so visually, you mean? Visually, yes, like visually. yes. And you can yeah, and physical, physically, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sorry, visually. Mm -hmm. Watching the wind in the underground. You enter. You watch the show, and it's just this wonderful physical objects, m removal boxes, and mm -hmm. there's this nice landscape. Mm -hmm. But it's so, such a BPA economical thing at the very end where you, <laughs> where you, where you choreograph. I'm not sure how the script is written, mm. so I'm not sure if, if this was in the script or this was part of your direction. But at the end, the play sort of ends with this uh, group chorus reciting of a poem that's thread throughout the whole entire show. And I really enjoyed how you packed up the stage. You put all the boxes to one side, all the furniture, all the props you really packed up. And... Yeah, you just left the space clean and almost like a blank slate. Mm. And mm -hmm. I thought, one of that was just a very nice economical BPA thing because we are known for our economy because we yeah. understand that, especially in fringe time, mm. it you have to be mobile, you have to get out of there because you know a show is about to bump in, bump in in about you know twenty minutes time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I found that a very wonderful choice at the very end, and I felt that was a wonderful tip to the hat to the BPA training course. Oh, how interesting! Yeah, I mean, we do make jokes that it's very useful for the twenty-minute bump out that we're packing up. We use the last scene of the play to pack up the set. <laughs> I mean, no, well, it wasn't. It was direction. Um, it was very economical direction, I suppose, in the way that. 
the last scene is them packing up the house and then the scene after is in an airport. So we, uh, so the ability to be able to kind of strip that space within 30 seconds and then be in a new location um, was the reason we chose to do that. But um, I, I found it really interesting getting your message and seeing that it did relate back to our training together because um, I often think the work I create is very not BPA. Um, <laughs> And that's no um, offence to the course. I think the course is so wonderful, but I do think that it potential. I, I think I, my taste is quite different from what maybe we created while we were there. Um, and I think that's that's also that's a very physical choice. But I, I was my um, so obviously our the course we did was all about um, performance. I think it was performance first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And um, I have always had personally a very big disconnect between my body and my mind <laughs> so our incredibly physical training was not always quite like what I would have um you know naturally gone to and yeah. I feel like because of that is what I've kind of um what I haven't taken with me into my own work almost um I think so that kind of Buto Fu Suzuki yeah. style is definitely not present in what I create um and as I say, that's just very personal that, that I was never able to have I don't think I had the body to connect to those ideas so that's why I found it so interesting when you said, oh, it felt like a BPA work. Um, yeah, something clearly is still sticking with me, which is so great to hear. Yeah, in the subconscious. In the subconscious, maybe. yeah, exactly. So talking about the wind and the underground. Mm. God, I see, I, I write some of these convoluted questions and the syntax are well, but I shall say this. Great, we'll make sense of it. During your time in the East, Mm-hmm. What is your what is a lesson you've learned that you are bringing back to the West? Oh, hmm. A lesson I've learned that I'm bringing back to the East, to the West. Hmm. Well, I think in some ways I'm actually hmm. BPA, which is our training, and what I left Perth with. I think I have taken the last. How long have I been in Sydney? Two years to Two years, yeah. digest yep. those things. And I think I've actually, I think maybe some of those are much more concrete than when I left. Um, so this isn't something I learned in Sydney, but I actually spent um, three months in New York last year, yes. which was incredible. Um, and I worked with this amazing director, his name's John Goldrubin. And um, he he was the founder of Labyrinth Theatre Company, mm. if you know it. Um, so, you know, it's incredible history of work and um, something really inspiring that I found in him is so this is this, this man with you know 40 years of, of work under his belt um, so he's worked with some of the best minds in the industry and yet he is the most humble director I've ever worked with which was a bizarre oxymoron I think yeah in a way because um, you often think someone like that would be so full of ego but um, and he really cemented for me so much of what I did learn in BPA about collaboration we often really played with this word as what is a director? Are we a facilitator? And we, you know, we often didn't use the word director. We often used other words like facilitator. And I think that that has, and I don't know if I understood that when I was there, but having worked with him and kind of seeing his practice and seeing the way that he facilitates artists to bring their best work, I think that's what I really brought home with The Wind in the Underground. I've been so lucky. I think I don't think I've ever directed a show where I haven't been the most inexperienced person on the team, amazingly. Um, so just that practice has also been incredibly useful in that way that one of my big philosophies is um, actors usually become actors because they are artists, not because they're technicians with a skill. Um, that's often just part of what they learn when they're at university. So I try very hard to treat my actors like artists, not like technicians. Yeah. And I try... So I give them as much voice as I can in the room. They make so many of the choices 
and then I just sift through them rather than me standing there saying, no, no, do this. Um, and that's part, big part of, that's a big part of what John taught me and um, what has um, been incorporated into my own philosophy and what does bring me back to BPA and that idea of a director not being the overarching god but being a facilitator who works with other artists. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally love that approach. Mm. It's, oh, it's reminding so many things. I've, I've stumbled, I'm not sure if, you're, if, you, if you have a knowledge of well, or people who are listening right now of World War Two, but I was watching this video clip of this interview in the 1960s with um, one of the British generals, um, Field Marshal Montgomery, mm. Vice Count Montgomery, um, who was you know won the Battle of Alamein, you know against rubble, the Desert Fox, and what have you. And it's interesting because he did a tour of lectures in the 70s, and he's like almost in his 80s, late 80s. And it's funny he's talking about how the, one of the problems he faced was connecting with the soldiers mm -hmm. and but he said this very weird thing for a general to say he says all people men and women have emotions mm. and they need to have an outlet to express that emotion and if you're managing someone or commanding it that's the language used because you know in a war combat situation if you're commanding someone or if you want to control someone mm -hmm. you need for that person to have an outlet to express their emotion Wow, how interesting. And I found that very interesting for this, you know, 80-year-old general mm. who's known as a tough nut um, to be saying about expression and motion. Yeah. And do you know how he um, how he did that? How he gave them that ex that way to express their emotion? No, I didn't, I only didn't quite get that far. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the reasons, like, his, I think he did mention, you know, people about, you know, events. Um, I think he did reference art. I hope he did. Yeah. I'm assuming that. But I found it so, yeah. That is such an interesting, I guess, sort of metaphor way of looking at it. Um, I, I do believe that if an actor feels um, like they own the work, then they're going to bring that onto stage. And, and I, I assume that would be the similar, in, I think it's about inspiring maybe. I guess he yes. would think that as a general, how do, you, do, you, do your soldiers win the war because they you know they have to go out there and do this, this and this? Or do they go out there as inspired and you know doing it because they've got people at home? And, you know, If it feels like their fight, mm, yes. you, they're going to be stronger than, you know, being there out of every other reason I think and I think it what a strange um, comparison to make but I think it is the same on the stage mm. <laughs> you sort of alluded to this question but I'll ask you anyway go for it there's I'm not sure if people can see this glorious picture it's one of my interesting weirdest fabulous pictures why were you in America mm -hmm. with Alan Cummings <laughs> <laughs> the Scottish actor for people uh, who don't know. This is so. This comes back to the first question we talked about, which was what took me to Sydney, and I was in love, and I'm still in love with a beautiful man named Brandon McClelland, um, who is an actor, and he um, he he premiered um, the present, which was at STC. So yeah. he was um, he was in that. So they were so lucky to get a um, revival season on Broadway. So I met Alan Cumming at the opening night after party there which is hilariously one of my biggest achievements, even though it wasn't my own achievement, it was my partner's, and I was just there with him. But it remains to be a very cool day of my life. Yeah, That's what so, experience. Because I was remembered that the present, wasn't that with, no, mm -hmm. Kate Blanchett, Richard Here, And Richard Broxburn, yes. Holy camoly. I know, what a team. Um, I did get to meet Kate Blanchett, and she's, and I had, I had been mean, this is a good story, I would, mm. had been meaning to have Christmas Day with Kate Blanchett. I mean, what a, what a story that would be. And I was so, you know, you can imagine, I was so excited. I'd never met her, despite Brandon having done a full season with her before. I'd never met her. And I woke up on Christmas Day with the flu. 
like full full run flu and I was ringing oh mum what am I gonna do ringing home and she said well you can go but you better not let on you've got the flu because imagine if I got her sick imagine I got Kate Blanchett sick Scandal. Oh, scandal. So I was, so I could only go, I decided I could only go if I could hide it. And I'd completely lost my voice as part of the flu. So there was, a, there was no way of me hiding that I was sick. And everyone di- in the cast did end up getting sick. So thank God I didn't go because um, I would have been to blame. I still think I was to blame because I gave it to Brandon who then gave it to everyone. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was one degree separate more than I would have been. So I didn't have Christmas Day with Kate Blanchett, which I still cry at night about, but makes a good story in itself. Yeah. But when I did finally meet her on the opening night, she yeah. said to me, oh, hi, Lucy, are you feeling better? So oh, wow. I, you know, that, and that's still one of the highlights of my life. So. <laughs> that's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Who or what inspires your art? Um, well, we've talked a lot about John, who's the director I worked with in um, America, and I think he, as I say, he, his um, philosophies definitely inspire the way I direct. Who inspires my art? Well, you know, I do a lot of, I also write a lot, and as a writer, I'm very inspired by, um, by Ibsen. He's a really big one for me. The Doll's House has been a massive influence on um, just how to structure a piece of work, um, for, you know, three acts. That each one having a bigger climax. That w- and I think um, so. That's something I really strive for in my work as well. And just great shows that I see inspire my work. Um, I saw a few when I was in America. I saw forty-three shows when I was in New York in three months. It was a real marathon. A lot of them were bad, um, but a lot of them were good. <laughs> um, few of them were good, I should say. But um, so I saw. So every time I see a work that really connects with me, I think my style changes just that little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so the first time I, that happened to me was when I saw Skylight on NT Live. Oh, yes. Actually, I saw it live and then I saw it on NT Live. I saw it twice, and that was oh, I didn't know naturalism could be so gripping. Yeah. I think and Carrie Mulligan and Bill Knight, like what a combo! And I think that was the first work that was like, oh, I want to create something like that. And then every time I see a show of that kind of connecting force to me, it, I change a little bit again. Mm. Um, so I saw one in New York called Yen by Anna Jordan um, and I'm actually premiering that in Sydney later this year so that's amazing I'm so excited for that but um, that was incredible um, and I saw lots more like that so I suppose yes each little event in my life I saw a show called The Whale last year at um, at the new at the old Fitz and it was just a little indie show you know on an on a indie theatre and my partner and I both ended the show like just weeping and I don't mean like it brought tears I mean like we were uncontrollable sobbing. We went and sat in the car afterwards and just had to, he couldn't drive home yeah. because we, he, we were just, <laughs> we were a mess um, for hours. Um, so yes, th- those always. And I think that's, I get m- most connected when I have that kind of emotional, um, that emotional response. And I think my work's very driven therefore by mm. those emotional responses and the works that give that to me, then I try and give that to my audience. Yeah. Do you have, any concerns about Australia's art sector? Mm. I mean, of course, but in many ways I have separated myself from it. In So, what I mean by that? I would love for the art that I create to be self-funding. You know, I, want, I would love to create a... Pro- I think art needs to have an audience, but theatre does. If we're making art that people don't want to see, why are we making theatre? I think it has to be a product and I don't mean we've sell out for that by any means but I think if we you know I um but I do I have creating new ghosts as a platform for my own work 
and I do hope we can be so what I'm where I'm getting at is I have stopped applying for grants and I know we have lost a lot of funding recently in the arts which has been really traumatic but um, for our industry but I I hate grants anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I put hours into them, and um, this is so personal, of course, for the big theatre companies, it's it's make or break. But um, but for me personally, I spent hours in them and then get nothing. And um, so now I'm really looking at you know private sponsorship or how can we create, can we keep our budget small enough that we know we'll make that much back so we can use it again next time. Just thinking of ways like that. That and if we can make a, you know products that people want to see, I, I kind of saves us in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a I have inner turmoil about being in an industry which we where we make products that require outside funding because not enough people are interested in us to buy our yeah. product. So I battle with that a lot internally, and I try and find ways my own theatre company to overcome that. And we're at the very very first stages of that, so I don't I can't tell you if we'll succeed in that, but it is something that I strive for for us to be creating something that can fund what we are creating. That is interested in us, interested enough in us to fund us. Yeah. Well, that's. Yeah. Well, that they'll be like if you, if you could do that. That's mm. like you'll be finding the golden egg. You'll be finding yeah. the producer, like the golden egg. Yeah. Mm. That, yeah. I yeah. Personally, for me, I mm. don't like um, grant funding. See, as people may be aware, I, I've I've just produced a show mm-hmm. called Soup, and what how we got money was we did an online doma- donation campaign. Yeah with the Australian Cultural Fund. Yes, fantastic. And so, and so by that we sort of got, you know, private, mm-hmm. well, thank goodness not investors, so we don't have to, you know, but do- don- donors yeah. um, who are generally interested in the show. Yeah. And some of them, well, most of them are going to come and see the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, grants give me the shits. They, they, me too. So we're doing a last big push later this year, my company is to do a big crowdfunding campaign um, mm. for my next show. And But the aim of that was, it's going to be to... Um, keep the budget of the next show small enough so that we can recoup the costs so we're keeping it at a stage where we know okay well we know we'll at least get this many audience usually you aim it around 30 percent or lower and then actually take that money onto the next show so until now i think i've done a lot of crowdfunding and um all that's gone to profit share which is great it's a great model but you can't profit share every show you know people only tend to give you money once every three years or so and if you want to be creating work more than that that's really tough so we're looking at other ways that we can kind of reuse that money and um and yeah, and be self-funding. So that's that's our goal um, as a theatre company is to be self-funding. Um, tough, real tough. It is. It is a tough question. Like a stra- another strategy could be. Mm. And, as a, if, and if there's any other young theatre makers, and as me and Lucy uh, brainstorm mm. on this conundrum, like I know it's like the last great hunt. Well, even other you know bigger medium theatre companies, you know they introduce membership. Mm. Well, well, this weird sort of membership donor thing, they give, you know, events, special events to the donors. Mm-hmm. I remember working in community theatre and being like on the community board or thinking to do. That was our biggest concern was to... Ooh. Pause while oh, fringe pause. opens. While the, the creaky gates of fringe, fringe. open. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think the creaky gates of fringe opening isn't, I think... Fringe is such an interesting thing because we just we do attract so many people to it. Yeah. I mean, this is a product right here, and yeah. it's incredible. And we never get we can't fill our audiences for ninety percent of the year. Then you put a hundred shows on at once, and suddenly they're all full. I mean, it's crazy. That was interesting. I was talking to someone last night, uh, a friend of mine, Chantelle Pitt, and we're talking about how Fringe World. Yes, we're talking about Fringe World, and it's a, it's a good time. And we're sort of discussing how not many people like yes. 
there is a definitely like audience set culture some people do remember but then there are mm. some people who don't know about it yeah and Chantel said I think Fringe World needs to start running advertisements on TV mm-hmm. or something like engaging the audience before the festival because there's sort of this weird time like come January yes well it's hard what's Fringe is a weird time because we're in January now mm. and you start planning you can start selling tickets in December but everyone's busy with Christmas yeah Definitely. You know? Yes. I mean, I think they do such a good job um, creating, you know, we have, we're have we sitting right next to the Pleasure Gardens and all, you know, they like, create, changing the environment around us so that it does attract people to just be here. And then, oh, while you're here, there's 10 shows on, they all go for half an hour each. You, you can see them all. Um, so I do think they do it in a very clever way. And I think, you know, clearly they've been, I think they double each year still. Like, it's crazy mm. how the numbers are growing still, both in audience and shows. Yeah, and I think where, I think, you know, I, I, talk to people I've, I've never done Adelaide Fringe personally before when I've heard of it it's very hard to sell your shows there you know it's so big now that our audience is becoming stretched out well I think we're at this beautiful point in Perth Fringe where we haven't quite gone over our audience capacity yet um, yeah so I think I think jump in I think it's, I think we will I think we will get bigger I think at the rate that we're moving but yeah it's a great time to be here and Fortnite audience capacity audience capacity what are you looking forward to in 2018 well, I've mentioned before that I'm doing Yen, yeah. which is my, um, our big one for New Ghosts in Sydney. So Yen, as I also mentioned before, I, I found in New York and just was my mind blew. And I managed to secure the rights for it and now here we are a year later and we're doing it um, here. And it's it's a real passion project for me. Um, I feel like I've birthed it somehow, like getting it to the stage of getting a theatre that's interested. Um, it's it's really young cast. It's two 16-year-olds and one 14-year-olds. Um, so it's going to be very... So the audition process is going to be really something quite yeah. different for me. Um, and, yeah, so just to have something I'm that passionate about to be working on. And that's in le- late September, but we're already... It's like so... The, the gears are already going. So it's really going to be a, a project of the year in the making. Yeah. But... Um, what a, you know, I think I think this is something that's really special about being in the indie scene, not in the professional scene, is that every work you create, you can only get a work up if you are prepared to spend every hour of your life doing it for free and be that passionate about it. And you, I think this is such a great time. Like, you only get that as an indie artist, you know, or eventually you get, in, you know, there's someone else programs the season and you might get a show on it. Rather, you know, it's, it's you get less and less passion projects like this. You know, although we all wish we were at different stages of our career, um, there's lots of things to be thankful for and where yeah. we are now. And we are only creating what we desperately want to be seeing on the stage. I'm very curious. Um, I just thought of the question. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, bugger it. Is it gone? No, hang on, hang on. Let me finish. <laughs> hang on. Damn, what is... I was, I was, oh, damn. Can I give you, like, helpful words to it? What did I just <laughs> say? Gone. No. Indie, indie theatre, indie theater, professional oh, theatre, cast- careers, no, no, that's casting. The other, no, that's, that's the other question I wanted to ask. Uh, indie theatre. Indie theatre. Well, I was thinking percentages, I was thinking of numbers. Audience capacity. Audience capacity. Of that. Oh, it's gone. It's gone. It'll come, it'll come, it'll come back. Come, it'll come back to me. <laughs> I should have wrote that down. You got one down. <laughs> In your opinion, mm-hmm. what quality should an artist aim for? I think the ability to do it yourself. Um, I think particularly, I see, I, I'm, I'm particularly impressed by actors around me who are producing. You've got to produce your own work and I think that's so important. I think it's what BPA teaches our course and, and what saved me is 
you don't want to be that. You, we, we're in this career, this artistic artistic career. We've made so many sacrifices to be here, and then you end up sitting at home and never doing the art. But if you can produce it yourself, if you can write the, you don't have to write the work, but if you can, that's great. Or if you can, all you have to do is go out and read a lot of plays, and and you know, and then do your absolute best to get a team around. You know, it's it's so doable to get your own shows up, and once you master that and it's more just about um pushing through the wall than learning a new skill i mean it's it's about confidence and just going and doing it you'll never be out of work mm. and what a power you can give yourself um so yeah everyone should be a producer every artist should be a producer yes absolutely and i remember the question mm. <laughs> but so in, yeah so yeah i definitely agree every artist should be their own producer yeah i've sort of taken that yeah myself it's impossible yes. not to from our course, I yes. think. Yes, they very much teach that. In a previous chapter, I mm. interviewed Jessica Russell. Yes. Who was my year mm -hmm. um, of the BPA course. And we had this very interesting discussion. So, and I, I, I want I want to get your opinion on this. Yeah. So, graduating from WAPA in 2015, well, mm. yeah, 2015, did you feel this, because we, we did address this, but for you, did you feel this great pressure to succeed? Like you had to, as soon as you graduate, I need mm -hmm. to have a gig, I need to have a job, I need to be, you know, producing this, I needed to have submitted that. Uh, yes. I think that was maybe self-caused though rather than BPA caused. Yeah. Um, I definitely, but as a, I think every young artist gets a sense of, I have to be, I have to complete all my goals now. No goal seems to be 20 years long, every goal seems to be tomorrow long and trying to, and that's, that creates a lot of inner turmoil, which you've got to get through. So yes, I definitely felt a lot of pressure. Moving to Sydney probably, did it help or did it hinder that? Maybe both, but it did mean that I wasn't surrounded by my cohort. So I was very on my, I was very much on my own path. I wasn't competing against other people. And, see, and so I was very much on my own journey. And that comes with more pressure sometimes. But I think it took that alleviate that I wasn't seeing oh that person I that person got a slot of the blue room over me you know there wasn't yeah. that at least yeah there was a lot of discovery in my first year out you know as I say in when I was studying I was still hoping to be a performer and so letting that go and and kind of refining where I wanted to be in this industry probably was the the big thing for me in that first year perform. no yeah I know I can but yeah. I, I yeah very much do not want to you don't no Really? So the journey for that was I did Fracture here, of course, and then we redeveloped it, rewrote it, we took it to Sydney, and I directed it myself, and I cast it. So we were a 10 p.m. slot at an indie theatre, running for two weeks. I mean, for like it's an actor's nightmare, right? Yeah. You know, like not paid, and we, we did little closed auditions for it, and the most incredible talent turned up to audition. Yeah. Like it was insane. And that was a real eye-opener for me about the, why maybe it's it's big for Sydney, but I think any, everywhere we have, particularly in like female performers, there is like a ridiculous amount of talent that isn't being utilised and these women are not being paid and they should be, but there's just not the work and it's so competitive. Um, and I had to reject most of them, you know, I only had two female roles in the play. It was only four-hander. So, you know, we chose two incredible actresses and then we had to say no to the rest, even though they were more experienced than me, the person rejecting, you know, it just felt crazy. Um, so that was a real eye-opener for me and it was really that point of, I want to be making these women work rather than competing against them for A, I'm, I'm not talented enough to compete against them, but also B, um, I'm just much more fulfilled. Uh, and 
and it's better for my mental health. I used to see these women and, and be angry that they were like, oh, you know, I wish I was that talented or, you know, be jealous. Um, now I look at other talent and I think, oh, I can utilise that and I can work with that or I'd love to collaborate with that person and, oh, it's so much better. Much happier now as a result of that change. The very last, cha- the previous chapter of this Perfume Chronicles, uh, we had Ross mm-hmm. Badara, who directed Minus One Sister. Mm-hmm. Also at the State Theatre Centre, at the same time as Lucy's, The Wind in the Underground. And I asked him this question, and I'm very interested to get your opinion on it. Please. So, how do you see the role of a director or writer, but maybe we should focus on directing. Mm-hmm. So how do you see the role of a director in a contemporary performance? <laughs> So, I mean, in contemporary, in the sense of, like, today's... Yeah. Yeah. World. Very personally, I don't see it as different to a director of... If you were to do a classical work or if you were to do a contemporary work, I don't think the role, for me, changes. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of different type of directors out there. Um, and all have their own kind of methods. I, I've already talked a lot about my own method, which is um, as a facilitator and to um, capitalise on everyone's thoughts in the room, collaborate and big on collaboration. So I suppose that's where I see, and I think that's more and more common now in contemporary theatre, that kind of attitude. It is a more contemporary attitude rather than the dictatorship maybe that was more um, that you'd expect yeah. before this. I think the really big difference is in devised work, which is a big part of contemporary theatre um, and where a lot of our theatre is going. And that, of course, is you know starting without a script and creating it with your actors. But that's actually something I haven't done much of. I'm, I'm very text-based, usually. I think that comes from... Um, I'm a writer and also when, when I choose to do a work, it's because usually I've been so inspired by the script and therefore I always start with the script. Um, so I don't know if I have had much experience yet and I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that's a place that I'm interested in exploring as much at this point never say never of course um but just at at this year at least that hasn't been my um forefront so yeah I think I think the role director very much changes in a devised collaboration um I think goes the extra step further where you just become another ensemble member you're not the director in quotations you're not that there's no hierarchy and I, I believe I believe that same of theory applies for all works these days particularly in my own practice but I think it does take a new level with devised modern work when I asked Riley this mm. he also added and I, I want to also get so this is the second other question I was bubbling mm-hmm. away he said there is a school of thought in terms of directing well there are many schools of thought when yeah. it comes to directing but he said um, there is a famous saying saying 90% of directing is is in the casting. The 90% of the mm-hmm. director's job is in casting. Yeah, so I do agree with that. Yeah? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, how to, how to cast is such an interesting process. And yeah, and if you can do it correctly, you, half your job's done. <laughs> then it's just about listening and not having ego in the room. And then you'll probably get the best product you can, I believe. Yeah. I mean, they've, for most, you know, they they're usually incredibly experienced and they come with so much talent and um, knowledge of theatre and so we should utilise that yeah. and make them creatives, not just technicians. So Lucy, how do you mm-hmm. handle stress? Um, I use it to make me work harder. <laughs> um, it's true, it's true. I, um, I'm very, I'm quite competitive and I, I think that's where a lot of my stress comes. I have to get things done and it's usually one of my greatest tools for 
I can't procrastinate, I've got to do it, you know, and to kind of overcome that procrastination wall and all those things. Stress is great. Love a bit of stress. Keeps me going. It's like coffee. Yeah. Keeps you up at night. <laughs> I think artists, out of, out, of this, out of all the occupations that um, have stress in the mix, mm -hmm. I think artists are the one that are most addicted to it. Definitely. And every other negative emotion that comes with it. Someone recently said to me, does, do people with, you know, who are dealing with things like depression, are they drawn to the arts or does the arts make them yeah. depressed? Yeah. Which is really interesting, I think. I think it definitely feeds into our negative, you know, because it is so competitive and we are out of work so much of the year and we're always stressed about money, where our next job is or how can I fit that extra, you know, 20 hours of work in at my retail job so that I can pay for the 40 hours of rehearsals. I'm, you know, it, yeah. it, it is incredibly stressful. But then it's also a place of expression and um, an acceptance. You know, our, our industry and our community is. And so that's that's so great if you are someone who wants to express all of those emotions. So I think it, it's, also, it's great for us and it's terrible for us and for our emotional health. <laughs> How do I get Lucy Clements to work on my project? I, are you attracted to a particular type of project, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be issue-based or a classical adaptation? Or... Mm -hmm. Probably not those two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I will. So, as a director, again, I am interested in telling stories, and that's what I. The first time I ever saw Hamlet, I just like sat with my jaw open. I was so like blown away by it. And then I'll never be able to see Hamlet for the first time ever again. Yeah. And now every time I've seen it since, I'm like, oh, it's another Hamlet. All right, it's a little bit different. But but I, I do think there's something really special about giving an audience a new story for the first time. And that is kind of the only theatre I want to be making, I think, very personally. I'm not interested, for instance, the different, so I'd rather do that than try and do Shakespeare in a slightly different way. I'm less interested in... in um, in creating my own director like vision yeah. I'd rather just be like this is a great script and I'm going to give it do it justice and I'm going to do my absolute best to present it in the best way possible and that doesn't always mean the biggest boldest most different way that no one's ever seen luckily if no one's ever seen it then you don't need to do that yeah. that's not part of it it's, you can stay true to the text or if you believe that the best way to show the text is not to stay true to the text you can do that but that's your first and foremost aim so I suppose to answer your question, I'm it's new, I'm all about new scripts, and it doesn't have to be never produced before, but never seen in, in my local audience is important to me. So send me your scripts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I might have one. I've been working on one, but that'll be a conversation for later. Definitely, Lucy at live. No, wait, Lucy underscore Clements at live .com .au. Send me your scripts. Um. Well, do you believe in terms of so new work? Do you believe, because there are many books written about mm -hmm. how there is only seven stories ever. We can only ever tell seven. Yeah. So there's a set amount of characters. If you're a follower of Robert McGee um, and his work, you know, there are these particular characters. You know, you've got the hero, you've got the anti-hero, the anti-villain, the false villain, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. blah. I do you believe, like, do you believe there's only, like, seven or there's, like, I know there's 20 stories that you can tell. Or do you think there's, like... No, I don't believe that. Yeah. I believe that you'll you'll never be able to get away from the the big things. You know, you talk about um, universal themes, and I think those are so important. I think a big part of what attracts me to a work is relatability to an audience. Um, I really want to engage with my my audience, and therefore, I do love doing works that really do engage those 
those prime stories, but I, I don't believe there's only seven stories out there. They might just have seven things that could be in common. Yeah. Mm. They might be all about love, for instance, but I mean, how yeah. many different love stories are there? Thousands. Exactly, and I don't think you can find relationships between all of them. I don't think I, don't, I think you'd be crazy to say they're all the same, for instance. Um, so no, I don't believe that. But it is, an, and I think as a writer, you do have to study those ideas and and find your way to make something different. Yeah, but I think if you tell a story that's truly unique, which just means telling something true, often your own story, or usually it's very hard to write a story that is the same as someone else's. I think. Yeah. What do you miss about Perth? Oh, it's been so nice being back. I, I, I mean, this, it almost feels um, like a bit of cheating coming back at Fringe because it's so nice at Fringe. I mean, you know, we're sitting in this incredible community where people come to our shows and my family's here. And so it, it makes me very nostalgic being here. I think the theatre community in Perth is very open-armed. There's a big indie community and a professional scene that are quite interlinked. And, you know, I, I do believe Black Swan goes and sees all the shows, which is so great. So it does feel like there's a really great community here to be with artistically. Uh, Sydney's a bit more cutthroat. It's very competitive. There's a lot more people trying to do the same thing, but not that many more jobs. Um, we don't have particularly many um, indie theatres. Um, a lot of them tend to be... The places where the professional guy, like the people working at City Theatre Company, go to do the passion project, yeah. not the person who graduated uni two years ago. Um, so it is really tough. There's a lot less funding in Sydney as well. Um, for instance, there's no such thing as like youth funding there. It's not like, oh, you're under 26 and you're trying to do a show? Great, here's Propel Arts. Um, you know, that kind of thing doesn't exist. So you really have to find other ways. That's a lot of things. But those are all the things I miss about Perth. Yeah. But saying that, Sydney's great, and I'm really, I'm loving my life there. And I think I have found my way of, of getting through all of those um, those mountains. Yeah. Would you like to say to anyone because a question that I'm uh, that I ask myself, like like mm. hopefully by the end of this year, because I know I've got a bit more. I'm studying a, a little postgraduate course for six months, um, but then after the so. You know, the mm. back, the, the, this half of this year, I would love to, you know, go to the east. Yeah. The, um, I don't know, fuck about. Mm. <laughs> you know, and try my luck there. Do you have, would you like to say anything, you know, any words of comfort or advice on... Because mm. it's, it's moving. Yeah, it's big and it's tough. Yeah. yeah. My own way of doing it was to do it as soon as I could. So... Instead of being here and kind of building a career here and then going there, I went straight there. And for me, that really helped because I went from the bottom of the rung to the bottom of the rung rather than from the top of the ladder to the bottom of the rung. <laughs> so I think that was um, that would be a tip, I would say. Don't wait. Jump in. Because um, it does take time to establish yourself in Sydney. But it's the same game as it is here, in the other hand. And you start small, and there's so many ways in. Um, so I, I, my way in for me was very much through ATYP, which is the Australian yeah. Theatre for Young People, and they are the most open-armed, beautiful company. So if you are if you are a young artist and you're graduating and you're looking at moving there, um, there are so many um, companies and communities that are, are there to support you to do that. Um, I would definitely encourage ATYP as one of those. They were one that I was, could email and say, hey love to AD for you guys and they said yeah great see you next week you know like they are that kind of company who will give you your first chance and there's lots of those yeah so yeah don't yet yeah, do it come fuck about 
It's great. Look at that. That's a chapter. That's yeah, the name of this no, chapter. Yeah, chapter. Come fuck about with Lucy Clemens. <laughs> Not literally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a ch- I'm very... Like I said, uh, The Wind in the Underground, I like the show. A wonderful cast. Mm. I noticed there's this guy I remember, um, the older, the elder, yeah. the, the eldest brother. Mm-hmm. I remember his face, and I believe yes. he, he, he was a Whopper graduate, correct. if I'm correct, at yes. the acting course. Three um, out of four of them are of Perth, were originally Perth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, expats. Mm, expats, fabulous. Mm. Um, but yes, back to Michael. That's oh, his name. Well, yeah, um, wonderful guy. And if he listens to this, I loved your work. What? Because I remember you did a production of Hamlet. John Sheedy, I remember. I, I remember he's involved in that, and I know his face. He has a very, very interesting face. Mm, I'm trying to remember something. Anyway, but you'll see him around a lot more now. Yes. He's actually moving home, so he's doing the directing course at Whopper this year. So um, yeah, he's going to become a local. Wow. Yeah, him and his to-be child, who is being born in like a week, hopefully after our show finishes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, congratulations, Michael, and congratulations, your beloved. Um, yeah, I hope it all goes well. Yeah, I'm sure it will. What attracted you to the wind in the underground? So, we were brought together by fate. We really were. Um, so, the, my introduction to the wind in the underground is that it came out of a program called The New Fits. So the end, the spoiler end of the story is I never chose the Wind in the Underground. It chose me. It was a new program by the old Vits who I had done a bit of work with and who was the stage that I did Fracture on when I first moved to Sydney. So um, very close to that theatre company. And um, they started a new initiative called the New Fits. Where, so they have their own season of 10 shows. And then they commissioned 10 writers, um, gave them one of those shows each and said, hey, write a new Australian 40-minute work inspired by this. Yeah. And then they got t- uh, five directors and we got paired with two shows each, just randomly. It, they said, what time of the year are you available? Great, here's your show. And it was that simple. Whoa. Um, so that happened back at the end of 2016. Um, I was asked to be involved with that program and I said, I'm available in June. They said, great, you can have Sam O'Sullivan and you're working with Doubt, which is, um, you know, the classical play by, um, not classic, but, you know, one of the classics um, by John Patrick Shanley. Incredible, we're so lucky to get, have got that piece for inspiration because what an incredible piece of writing. So that is how the show was born. So Sam and I went for our first copy together. We'd never met, we're both Perthians, amazingly, but that's coincidence. We had never met or worked together before and we went out for coffee and he said, I want to do a play about a pilgrimage. And I said, sounds awesome. And we started working from that day. And I, you know, so he wrote it with me already attached as director. So I was very much there all steps of the way. Yeah. Um, and it was, what a wonderful opportunity. And yeah, so we, we've done three different versions of it on the stage. Um, we cast it together. He was a very big part of the casting process as well. Um, so we, we have, it's been a very collaborative team from yeah. day one. Yeah. I'm very interesting. So, have you always had the same cast? Yes, always. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. So this is pretty much. So, so this was newly devised. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no, we did begin with a script. So we had a script before we had a cast. Okay. So he wrote draft one, and then maybe after draft one or two, then we cast it, and then it became. Yeah. It it was very much a, a write, read, take it away, and develop. 
start back at square one you know so it was like yeah. it was that kind of process over and over and over again and that's a process I really love personally um, of like do your writing bring it in read it tear it apart take it away do it again you know I'm a, I'm a big fan of that process um, in my own writing and Sam is too so um, that's how it was created so it is definitely still a Sam O'Sullivan piece of writing through and through but yeah he really um took all our voices into consideration when writing it as well which was so great to be a part of that i don't want to spoil it no, <laughs> go well, for it the show will be done by the time you yeah, set, yeah. so go for it i found it is it's a really interesting and hopefully it gets remounted you know many years down the track or, or whatever because mm. i think it's a wonderful nice it's a nice outing yes and i think it would be a very good piece of theater to introduce to someone who is new or you know wants to have an, a, a brand new experience you know um, I found it very interesting how there's a sense of, you know, play and especially when the hide-and-seek because mm. the, the, the play flashes back and forth between time. Yes. Um, with the same characters, you get to see them as adults and then you get to see them as children. Mm -hmm. And I thought how you, how you handled that was lovely. I, I, yeah, it's just very, yeah, like there's no costume changes, it's just, you know, same costume. Very interesting choice how mm. everyone was barefoot. Well, for, for the most of the part. Yeah. I don't know if there was really much um, thought that went into that, to be honest. I think it was like, oh, they're inside, or the kids, oh, really? so they're there for. Yeah, I don't think it was really like a, you know, a in-depth decision that we made. It just kind of worked. <laughs> I was just, I was reminded because there's this infamous, well, not infamous, well, I'm not sure if that's right, but there's this uh, famous production, Arthur Miller's play. Um, what's that mm. one? No, A View from the Bridge. Yes, that was done a couple of years, a couple very of years well. back. Yeah, and Mark Strong was in it, that British actor, and there's this, um, I think, Dutch or Belgian, no, Belgian director, I think, mm. and he's very interesting, and I remember he, he stipulated that he wants all the cast barefoot, so I, wow. thought, it was, I thought that was your influence. Was well, like, that's really interesting, because, um, so you know how this show was influenced by Doubt, originally, um, the other, so five directors, ten playwrights, so we got two plays each, the other one I did was influenced by Vivian Bridge, so oh, it okay. is a very, so who knows, maybe that, I've done so much, you know, reading of that show, and I've seen mm. it about a million times. So very possibly that was subconsciously <laughs> feed, feed it in, yeah. And that resulted in a play called Paper Doll, which we hope to bring here later this year. So that's not as nice in inverted commas. It's a bit darker and good fun though. Can we talk about Mimesis? No, I said that wrong. Mimesis. Mimesis. Very close. I said Mimesis after even after I decided it was called Mimesis. I said Mimesis. So yes, you, we can talk about Mimesis. What's it? I'm very interested. Mimesis, because when I first, when I was um, doing my googling of Lucy, and when I saw that word, I was, rem yeah, um, I, was, I was, I was just, I had a flashback of this Peter O'Toole interview he did with um, uh, mm. that American reporter Charlie Rose, and he was saying that acting is, you know, the mimic art. Yes. And I'm very interested. What have you written it or? Mm, I have written it. It's one of those plays in in the draw at the okay. moment, and I'm, I don't know if it will emerge from the draw. Um, still to be seen. Yeah, it was an, that was really interesting. After I wrote Fracture, it was kind of like, oh, I'm on a roll, let's write another one. Yeah, but it's been a really interesting journey. And I took it to New York and we've read it there. And um, I'm, just, I'm not sure if it will ever be seen at this point. But yes, it is about, in, an, in a nutshell, it's a really hard one for a synopsis, but we have a woman in a, a dual abusive relationship. So, abusive relationship with her best friend, um, and abusive relationship emotionally with her husband. Um, abusive is used at very, um, uh, you know, it's, it's much more complex than that, I suppose, is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, her husband is um, 
is a policeman and it's kind of the play really delves into the stress of being a policeman and, and what the negative consequences of that entail in America there's a massive rate like one in five they say of, of police that have issues with um, like spousal abuse because it's such a stressful job and you're taught to be commanding and you're taught to always have control and you're subdued to this incredible stressful situations and it's like oh now go home and be with your wife and children you know and imagine that and so um it's looking at that and then so it's this relationship that's kind of already on the edge he's you know she's very much the person who's able to keep him calm um even though he's kind of on the edge himself and then you bring in this woman who kind of rocks up at their house one day and says surprise i'm staying a few nights um and she she was actually the whole influence of this is how the place started was i was really i love psychological stuff can you yeah. tell um <laughs> and i got really fascinated by the idea of female psychopaths um, because no one does any research on them really they're very hard to find they're not because often research is done on male psychopaths because they often act out violently and then end up in prison and that's how that, that so often when you do studies on them you go to male prisons and that's why you'll find the highest percentage of psychopaths that's why you do your studies women are much harder to seek out much more manipulative much more so they've so they can become really interesting characters so that's how I, I wanted to write a play about that pretty much and now almost she's the third character of three so it, the play has changed so much over the years I've been writing it but in a nutshell she comes in to this already very on the edge relationship and then the play is about that what wow. happens next yeah oh, interesting. yeah I mean yeah I mean oh, it's been such a passion project of mine for so many years and now I just don't know if I'll be able to find a place that's interested I think it I think it's a really tough topic um, yeah. we are talking about things like abuse and and trying to do that in a sensitive way um, while not shying away from the parts of it that are messy and real like the fact that yeah the sky is quite emotionally abusive but it's because of something much bigger it's because of this you know it's because of what he is going through in his everyday life and can we empathize without losing sight of the fact that this you know for this woman um can we do both and i think it really tests an audience in that way um and it is quite yeah i don't know i think i think it's it's a challenging play i think it'd be really challenging for a theater company to put it up and i would need a, yeah it's it's <laughs> it's just really messy territory i suppose yeah yeah so i'm not sure if it will find a home but it's been but i, I hope it will yeah well with respect i hope it does too i'll be very interested to see that work i do think it's important and i do think it's something we haven't really talked about i don't think i really know of any other plays that talk about that theme of mm. police and what um in that kind of world in an empathetic light while also being harsh on the realities of it yeah so we'll see keep you updated It'd be interesting also playing because I know in America, yeah, that'd be. I think that to me, just that sounds like an American project. Yes, and definitely we have. We've actually got an American and Australian version of the show now as a result of the time in America. Oh, okay. And definitely, I think it, really this is an interesting thing. So main character. So we got the main couple. Let me tell you about Emily and James. Um, in Australia, at every reading, page one, the audience loses James. They they just think he's abusive and they they can't really take his side. In America, that was the opposite. People keep kept his side for the whole play and at the end were still like, oh, I hope they figure it out, which was incredible to see. And I don't know what that says about either culture, um, but that has been really interesting for me to observe the different cultures' reactions to the characters. Um, so in America, it was all about make him bigger, make him larger. We, it's too, he's too, you know, we, we, you don't see that he's abusive. 
Well, here it's like, oh no, we lose sight of him on page one. You've got to, if you, unless you've got to soften that, you can't do the play. Um, so, yeah, how incredible, as even just as an exercise of doing that. But so yeah, I think it, it's very likely that it will get its first look at in America rather than Australia. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see a documentary, and I'd love to see you do an American production coincide with an Australian production yeah. at the same time. I, I'd sure like to see too. that, and I'd love to. I, I, I'm picturing now this mini documentary, or this documentary in my head, mm. flashing back from your American rehearsal room yeah. to the Australian. Uh, oh, oh, that I would just... be great! I would love that as well. We should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Flash forward one year. No. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a work I need to do sensitively, and I, you know, it's going to, um, it's going to be something that a lot of people. It might strike them too close to home, and that's something I've got to be really careful with. And it's really important I take my time getting it to a place where it can be truthful and um, and respectful of these themes. Yeah, that's really important to me. I just, I was just curious. Are you planning to see anything else in Fringe? Well, I um, so minus one sister definitely, and there's also this Will Greenway show that's, that's just been getting five stars everywhere. So that's um, that's my plan tonight, eight pm. So I've got Wind in the Underground, six fifteen, eight pm. Will Greenway, and then nine thirty, minus one sister. That's my plan for tonight. Yeah. Interesting. It's um, we need a fringe app or something to help us yeah. through. There's a lot of shows. It's almost like a bit overwhelming. Not, not to denigrate or say anything, but yeah, definitely there needs to be a fringe app. Like, yeah. I, I don't mind the guide, but there's so many, there's over 750 shows. I oh my God. So when I look at the guide and when I look at the venue, like it, it was weird the other day. So I went and watched a show on Monday night mm. called uh, Abyss, which was done by Rebecca Price, another graduate of the VPA course. Um, it was a good show, mm. half an hour show, and it was on at six o'clock. Monday night, so I so finished at 6.30 and I was like, cool, I want to... You know, yeah. Nothing else was on. Wow. Yeah. Like, what? Not, none of the theatres, none of the state theatres. Oh, on a Monday, yeah, that was a weird day, wasn't it? What? You're right. It's funny because there's nothing on um, summer nights. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because my own season, which we're part of summer nights, we did Saturday and then Tuesday to Saturday is the season. So we don't do Sunday Mondays, just by them. Everything is on Monday. Yeah, it's like, do we just have to give everyone a rest day? Is that like, oh, okay. so, no, I, but I mean, no, seriously, like, can we just have different shows on the Monday? But like, yeah. it's almost like the audience Sometimes need a rest day. It's bizarre to me. Yeah. And then you have someone, because, yeah, it's, then it goes bang, right? you have like a hundred shows on the Tuesday. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, that, that's just something for the, um, is it the ether? Is that the right word? Or, I don't know. That's yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, maybe maybe a fringe representative will be listening to this and say, you know what? There should be shows on Mondays. And we should have a fringe app. Mm. <laughs> I demand five cents for every sale of your fringe app as a result of this idea. So, Lucy, yes. time has come. Yes. Thank you very much for being on. But before we go, mm. the penultimate signing off question of uh -huh. the Perthian Chronicles. Great. Which you may or may not be aware. So, the aim of this project is for me in 10 years time mm -hmm. is to visit all my guests and Amazing. yourself in the same context and capacity mm -hmm. uh, in, our, in our case i don't know where or when no i know when well hopefully 10 years it'll be in 2028 no, right 20, 2028 2028 and maybe in sydney maybe in new york maybe during the the documentary premiere maybe that'd be wonderful that would be so good um, i hope that happens so lucy in the year 2028 what would you like to plug? I'd like to plug, oh, 10 years, all right. I'd like to plug my own theatre companies, mm. 
debut in our own venue that we run. New Ghosts, the theatre company. It's going to be like Sydney Theatre Company, Belvoir, New Ghosts. Yeah, that's what I'm plugging. Come, come to our, 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 our launch party. Yes. 2028. Our own venue. Yeah. At Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New Ghosts at Facebook.com, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you.